Welcome to Under the Hood, a podcast by Le Studio, where we chat about the ins and outs of entrepreneurship with real-life innovators. Hi everyone, I am Karine Sarkissian. Today I'm excited to be joined by Aditi Maliwal, a close friend and fellow investor. Aditi leverages her operating experience and global perspective to invest in and support the highest potential founders and teams. Before joining Upfront, Aditi was a product manager on the Next Billion Users team at Google, in a hybrid role leading investments in and building products for companies in emerging markets. Previously, she worked on the corporate development team at Google, leading acquisitions across various sectors including AI, messaging, and media. Prior to Google, she worked in early-stage venture at Crosslink Capital, leading investments in BetterUp, Chime, and Power to Fly, and before that, in investment banking at Deutsche Bank in the Technology Banking Group. She holds a BA in Psychology from Stanford University and has lived between India, Hong Kong, Singapore, and San Francisco. I'm so excited to be chatting with you, Aditi. You and I have become friends over the years, and you're definitely one of the people I have the most fun with, even when we're taking your little daughter around for a stroll. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I wish we were in the same room right now, but here we are on Riverside, which I'm excited to try out this new platform too. Awesome. Yeah. Next time, round two, we'll do it in person, I promise. But Aditi, we have a couple questions for you and you know, I'm curious to get your answers and I know our listeners are always looking to be inspired and to be, you know, to learn more about the amazing people that make up uh, you know, this world, this ecosystem and our network. So I'm going to jump in first with like sort of a fun question that we always like to ask. But how about you just tell me something that you're just proud of that really has nothing to do with work? I feel like a total sap saying this, but I'm really proud of my daughter and like the journey of being a parent. Um, it's been I would say not the most straightforward and um, probably the hardest job I've ever had to do if it is a job. Um, so I'm very, very proud of myself. I'm really proud of my relationship with my husband, which has been through a lot in the journey of being a parent. And then we've come out, I think, so much stronger. And I'm also really proud of the little bean that she is. Um, she's like a real firecracker and um, just generally has, I would say, a pretty positive outlook on life. Sometimes I think I get a lot more of the positivity from seeing her joy and her experiences. And so <laughs> there is a lot of pride for me in that. And I think being a working parent, especially in the US, um, which isn't obviously the easiest uh, working culture for working parents, um, is hard. And I think uh, I have so much pride and I have so much awe for everyone who is doing this. And so that's my long answer for you. I love it because, I mean, I also have gotten to know your daughter and have seen you as a mom transition from, you know, just a DT to little beans mom. <laughs> um, and it's been just amazing to see. And you're just fully yourself with her and she is too. And it's just, it's been really special to be able to witness that. So I really enjoyed your answer. Um, maybe we'll like jump a little bit straight into the, the meaty part now. I think it's helpful to, to, to visualize that you're a mom, but like, let's kind of talk about, you know, you've had such an incredible set of experiences 
uh, and you've been, you know, you've been in the Bay Area for quite a long time. You went to Stanford. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your professional experiences from initially being at Google and then moving into VC and how that transition into the space kind of worked for you? Yeah. Um, if it's okay with you, I'll go a little bit further back because I started in Please. venture in 2014, actually. And so kind of reeling it back a little bit, maybe even to when I was at Stanford, I think um, one thing that I didn't know coming into Stanford was, was that I would be an investor. I actually came in thinking I would become a child psychologist. I took a gap year after I graduated from high school to work with children that have learning disabilities in my old elementary school, and I loved it. It was a really rewarding job. You were able to help people. You learn from these like relatively difficult situations, but also sometimes the easiest situation. And so there was just so much learning in behavior and human behavior in the classroom. Um, and so when I got to Stanford, I declared I was a psychology major almost immediately and then sort of knew that I would do something around child psychology. Um, at Stanford, you can take a bunch of classes at the Bing Nursery, which is their nursery on campus, um, mostly for professors and the professor's children and uh, faculty's children. And I ended up basically taking any and every class I could there from, um, you know, doing sort of the delayed gratification tests, like the marshmallow test, if you've heard of those, and kind of doing little fun experiments with these kids, but also just kind of observing them and being in a classroom. Very special experience. At the same time, though, I did go to Stanford, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley. And, you know, you'd have people come on speak uh, on campus. You'd have people come and tell you more about what they're doing, who they are. And we had a lot of venture capitalists come at a whole, at a variety of different times. And something that I loved was listening to operators talk about their experience. I'll never forget Phil Libin came and spoke about starting Evernote. And then you had folks like Tim Draper and other big venture capitalists who had started firms, who had established their brands and recognized, and people recognized who they were. And one of the biggest things I learned was they basically got paid to learn from other people. That was to me what venture capital embodied was like the one job that allows, or to me, the one job that I felt where I could learn a little bit and maybe go a little bit deeper about a ton of different subject matter. And that was my job, which felt like one of the craziest experiences. And I'd never thought of that as a profession I would go into. I really thought was child psychology. So anyway, um, I drank the Kool-Aid. Wow. It was like handed to us. <laughs> we were told, here you go, VC or tech, you pick. Um, no, it wasn't quite as, that, as straightforward as that. But it was, I definitely drank the Kool-Aid and I kind of thought to myself, okay, I really want to get into venture and I want to fund more companies that have impact on people's lives, somewhat the way that education did for me or education did for the children I got to work with. So just very special and personal experiences. Um, I went into investment banking because it was sort of the foot, the, the path into venture. And towards the end of my two years in banking, I actually cold emailed 100 VCs off the Stanford alumni mailing list because I really wanted to get into venture. And I needed some time to prepare for myself and get myself ready. And regular interviewing had already happened. And so people didn't know who I was. And I was like, you know what, I will do what it takes to get my name or my foot in the door. So emailed over 100 VCs um, and would interview like 
would prepare for interviews after my job. And in banking, you were working till 1 or 2 a.m. So I'd then, you know, prep for my interviews at like 2 a.m. and then wow. interview in the morning or in the middle of the day and be like, oh, you know, I had a stomach ache. I'm going to need an hour to go and take a meeting separately and kind of <laughs> get the opportunity to go interview. But anyway, ended up getting a job at one of the firms, um, a, a firm called Crosslink Capital. And that was my foot in the door. And from the day I joined Crosslink, I just knew that this was my dream job. And even till today, I feel so lucky to be in this job. And at the same time, I feel like I am just at the beginning. And I'd say I've been in and around the investing world for most of my career. Um, but I still feel like I'm in the first inning and there's so much more to come. So fast forward, I'll, you know, I won't go into too much detail, but ended up staying at Crosslink for a couple of years. Um, got to source Chime, the Neobank when I was there, mm-hmm. also sourced a company named BetterUp, which is in um, the mental wellness space in general, more broadly. At the time, they'd started with the wedge of coaching. Um, I was an athlete growing up and had have and was an athlete at Stanford. And so always understood the experience of why coaches were so necessary for me in my athletic world. And then I was thinking, I'd always think to myself, where's your coach in your professional world? And you have mentors and you have people who look after you in sort of maybe a little bit more of a one-to-one or every couple of months kind of way, but you're not calling your mentor on a weekly basis being like, how are things going? I want to check in. I'm having these issues. Um, These are, you know, practice areas that I need to work on. And so I really bought into the idea of coaching and I personally felt it so deeply. And I met Alexi and just knew that this was a company that I wanted to be part of. And so we got to invest there. Um, quick, uh, quick backstory on Chime, just for you to have context. It was um, before people talked about fintech. And so uh, the only in real <laughs> fintech deal that people talked about at the time was um, Simple had just been bought by BBVA that summer of 2014. We funded Chime in October 2014, and it was sort of a crazy ride, but it was this mindset that the founders had, which was, hey, you're a student who just graduates college. What is your first bank account that you set up with? Typically, it's Bank of America, Wells Fargo. You have a whole bunch of these options, but what if it was Chime? And Chime was the sound. It made this like it kind of gave you this delight in the sound itself. And so people created accounts at Chime and Chime really went whole hog after this direct deposit market and, you know, getting a, getting somebody with their first paycheck to sign up and then just stick with the company for a long time. And so had cool opportunities to invest in founders like them. Also invested in a company called Power to Fly, which was a marketplace that helped remote female talent before remote working was a thing, but it helped remote female talent find full-time jobs. Um, And really it was centered around the mission of women will drop out of the workforce after they have one child, if not multiple children, primarily because um, commute time ends up taking up so much time of the day and people don't have flexibility in their work schedule. And so how do you create a work environment or how do you increase in retention of women in the workforce? You want to be able to create remote jobs and give them flexibility. Anyway, ended up deciding I really wanted to actually operate after I had made some of these investments. And in order to add value to some of these companies, I wanted to kind of be able to share personal experiences of having built things, launched things, gotten it to market, and 
being able to connect with founders in a deeper level, especially at the earlier stages. And so I went over to Google, joined the corporate development team at first, and then eventually joined the product team on the Emerging Markets Group, which was building products for users in India, Indonesia, and other parts of Southeast Asia. Got to work on a consumer fintech product for users in India at the time, but always kind of had my heart back and heart set to come back into venture. Timing worked out, ended up coming back into VC in September 2019, which probably was a very interesting time in 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 hindsight. I think, you know, I had like six months of a non-COVID experience and then the rest of my venture experience was in COVID. And you've had similar experiences too, where you just saw the market kind of, you know, suddenly rocket ship into a whole new world of valuations, of structures, capital being a commodity, founders being totally in control and kind of demanding things of VCs and VCs asking themselves, what is my value? And relationships became more transactional. So it definitely had its own ups and downs, but have had a very fun and awesome opportunity to invest in companies like Claire, which is in the earned wage access space, a company named Arcade. It was a good friend of mine who was in my husband's business school class. I got to fund who's building interactive demos for software companies um, and a couple other investments. But that's kind of been my journey. And so uh, a a very um, in-depth view into sort of where what I went through in order to get where I'm at. Um, But like I said, it's just the first inning. I mean, it's crazy. Like This is the first question and I'm already, you know, kind of wanting to respond to so much. First of all, I had no idea that you were initially interested in tri psychology. I mean, that's really amazing. It makes so much sense knowing you. (laughs) But at the same time, just like, you know, the way you talk about venture, it's almost like it's not only like you found it, but it found you in some way. And like, you talk about the deals that you made, you know, such such a long time ago with so much passion. And it's been it's really helpful to, you know, understand and gain your different insights, even talking about, you know, you're an athlete and you loved coaching. I I love the connections that you've drawn from your personal life in the way that you've sort of like launched into that. And yes, COVID was, I think, shook all of us in such a deep way, you know, not only you were entering, re-entering into somewhat of a newer field at the, you know, but at the same time, like, things in venture changed so much at the same time. So there was so much adaptation. I think everyone was just like trying to grapple with what was happening. Let's like step back. I think I want to like give our listeners a little bit of insight and background on Upfront. So Upfront Ventures, you know, you're an early stage investor there. And can you tell us a little bit more about what Upfront is known for and what sort of you're focusing on there and then sort of, you know, you mentioned already like getting the operational experience so you can help those founders. Can you talk more about that work as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Upfront Ventures is an LA-based fund. I actually live in San Francisco and opened our offices up here. But Upfront was started 20 plus years ago, close to 25, almost 30 years ago. And it was founded by our founder, Yves Sistrone, who came over from France to the US. He did some corporate investing and then eventually went on to raise what Upfront now is. We initially were more focused on retail, e-commerce, a little bit more consumer in our practice areas. And in the last 10, 15 years have really shifted into more enterprise and B2B investing. I spend most of my time in fintech and enterprise software. What I like to call workflow automation. You can really 
really think of it as any sort of software business that's selling to businesses, B2B business models, typically what I'm looking for. I'm uh, spending time with founders at the earliest stages. So sometimes I like to think of myself as a talent agent almost um, because I get to spend time with founders or operators rather six to nine months before they're about to go start a company. We typically are the first institutional check into a company. So our check sizes range from about a million dollars up to four million. Um, in some cases, depending on the check size, we'll take board seats. In other cases, we don't. But we are very concentrated. We take, we're writing two to three checks per partner per year. So we get the opportunity to just go really, really deep with our companies. We don't take the responsibility lightly. We won't view this relationship as transactional. One al- analogy I've been trying out and sort of referring to with a couple with a with a lot of new founders that I'm meeting is, you know, starting a company, the first 12 to 24 months are like hurtling down a highway at 150 miles an hour with like almost zero control. And you're hitting speed bumps and you're hitting potholes and there's ups and downs. And you kind of want a co-pilot in the seat next to you to sort of weather the storm with you. And that's the opportunity that we view ourselves in a lucky position to be able to do so is we're sort of that co-pilot to our founders. And that's why we want to come in really early. That's also why we do think that getting involved with a business isn't a lightweight decision. It's a relationship. It's someone you want to get married to tentatively. Um, And so we don't want to get into shotgun weddings. We aren't looking to meet a founder and then almost immediately within a minute or two minutes or maybe, you know, five days be like, yeah, absolutely. We want to have spent time and really built relationships. That's who we are. Um, You know, I'm in a partnership of four, uh, of five partners and I have four great partners in Kevin, Kobe, Nick, and um, the head of our firm, Mark Suster, who, you know, and the five of us are really collaborative and we all have, I would say our lanes or maybe our majors and minors. So kind of the areas where we spend most of our time in and then spend a little bit of our other time in. But um, that's one thing that I'm very appreciative about with Upfront is we are all operators or former operators. Um, so most of us have either worked at big companies and been leaders or have been founders ourselves. And I think that is incredibly important to early stage investing um, because in order to have empathy for your founders and really understand their journey, hopefully you've had some experience doing the same. Uh, so that's who we are and that's kind of what we stand for. Um, we do invest across the U.S., so we're not sort of geographically bound by L.A. or the Bay Area. We have quite a bit of our portfolio in New York, Boston, Indianapolis, Austin, Seattle, a whole bunch of cities. So we're pretty pretty national there. Um, And yeah, that's kind of how I describe upfront. One thing I will say, and one thing I just want to call out is, you know, I think early stage investing has really been through its, it's been through its cycle in the, in 2014, 2015, nobody really knew what seed stage investing was. It was this very high risk opportunity and part of the market. And so folks weren't, there weren't as many seed funds. It was much smaller. That business, the business of writing the first institutional check um, was far less competitive. And today I think it's totally changed. I think, um, you know, every large fund almost at this point has their seed practice. So they'll have like a separate seed vehicle and every seed fund 
has or every larger or many larger funds have also come further earlier or have further downstream and they're sort of like you know we're gonna go and be a seed investor and we're just gonna get pretty early into these businesses I think this is a time when everyone is being really reflective and I'm super aware of this of how do you add value as an investor but really like what is it that you as a founder should be looking for? And where is that match with the right investor that you want to work with? This is something that I feel is really top of mind for me. And it's something that I'm talking to all my founders in my portfolio, but also founders that I'm meeting outside is just, if you're a founder, you may ask the VC today, like, hey, what can you do for me? Do you have a platform team? Do you have a talent team? Can you recruit? Do you have a list of engineers? Can you open doors to customers? At the end of the day, I think of founders as the experts. You're the expert in LLMs. You're the expert in dev tools. You're the expert in fintech. You know what you're building. I'm not going to come in and tell you I'm subject matter expert. You also most likely know your customers better than we as VCs do because you're in the depths with them day in and day out. But what you don't necessarily know is what to predict for. You, this may be your first time doing it. And oftentimes I work with first time founders. We've had, we've been investing in companies for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. We have experiences. We've lived experiences of seeing what these companies will go through. And also we have lived experiences to kind of tell you, hey, at this turning point, you might see at this juncture, you might see these two options. This is kind of what you should know. And this is what you should be able to tell will come ahead. But the decision will be yours and we'll, we will be supportive and we'll sort of ask the hard questions if you do decide to take an avenue that doesn't make necessarily make the most sense. But at the end of the day, you as the founder are making that decision. And so when you decide which investor you want to work with, it's the question that you have to ask yourself is like, who do I want to surround myself with? And who do I want to be in this long-term relationship with that's asking me the hard questions, but also willing to go on the journey with me, no matter how rosy or how hard it looks. And that I think is something I really have been wanting founders to know more about me, know more about Upfront. And that's kind of who we are and what we represent. Yeah, it's true. They are interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them because it is a long-term relationship. Actually, Aditi, like you touched on this a little bit and I'm very curious because your thesis for investments, like, you know, how would you say that maybe your personal values ties to this? Like you've alluded to some of this, but you know, how do you choose the founders that you're looking for? And, you know, you say you work with them beforehand for a while, even before they're even starting a company. Like, can you maybe share a bit more about like your personal professional missions and sort of like how you leverage those towards your investment process? Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about upfront founder fit, and I like to think a little bit sort of you know, more narrow of like a DT founder fit or, you know, a DT X person fit too. And I think as a firm, we have three to five values that really matter to us. And then as individuals, I think we have a few extended beyond that. But I think culturally, the five of us are very aligned on a set of values that matter the most. I think for me, what I'm looking the most for in founders, and this really sort of resonates with what Upfront's looking for too, is I'm really looking for founders who are self-aware. Today, I don't expect anybody to be an expert in what they're building because the stage at which I'm investing in the company, they could have been building in that category for years and years, or they may have decided like they had a lived problem 
at their company or, you know, I have a good friend who's the founder of a company in the elder care space and she wasn't an elder care. She hadn't been building or selling to insurance companies and focused on getting into the elder care world, but she was the sole caregiver or the primary caregiver for her grandmother for 10 years. And so she had lived experiences. And when you think about founders like that, you're like, they have these incredible lived experiences. They have this they have this insight and knowledge as the pain points that they've experienced. But what they do need help on or what they're trying to figure out is what do I not know? And so founders who come to me with the awareness that like, hey, these are the set, these are the parameters and sets of things that I know. And these are the unknowns. And I'm okay to say that I, these are the things I don't know, but having the awareness to actually even articulate that and accept that there's plenty in this world that you don't know is something that requires a relatively low amount of ego and a high amount of humility um, and openness. And so I think that's a very important value for me. I'd also add with that comes like intellectual honesty and authenticity where there are folks who can start businesses. And as many people say, the company you start with may not necessarily be the company you end up with. But I think authenticity and intellectual honesty requires you to question, to ask yourself in the process when you're building out the journey, going through it. And you can hit a point where you're like, you know what, I have enough evidence or revenue or users to tell me that this product could be something. But realistically, it's totally changed in terms of what I would like to build and where my mission is. And either I'm going to go on this journey and sort of address the fact that like, I may not be the expert to run this business. And therefore I'm going to surround myself with all the right people to do so. Or by the way, this is exactly the company I want to be building. I'm further, I'm in further belief of this. And I also know that I can't do it alone and I kind of need the right people around me. So I think it's like maybe an extension of self-awareness, but I think of it as showing, having the ability to accept that you may not be the expert and having the ability to accept that you do need a team to do this. I really struggle to believe successful founders can all truly be like Elon Musk, where he's sort of like, I am the leader and I know exactly what I'm doing. But, you know, even for the example of Elon, (laughs) in almost every one of his companies, he has lieutenants and he has people who run the business and there's that, that awareness. So those are really important. And the last thing I would say is, I do really value founders who are driven by a mission. I do think that there is something that is, less about like, you know, I just want to be a billionaire. Um, but more, you know, there is a pain point that I've seen in the market and seen in daily lives of people that matter. There's a difference between mission driven and impact investing. I'm not saying that, you know, or, you know, being a nonprofit, whatever that may be. I think what I'm saying is there are plenty of massive outcomes to be had in businesses where founders are truly driven by the mission. I'll give you one quick example. One of the founders in my portfolio Um, Nico Simcoe is the co-founder and CEO of a company named Claire. And Claire is in the earned wage access space. What does that mean? They basically help an hourly worker to get paid on a daily basis. So in the US, the payroll system means you get paid every two weeks. What Nico sort of saw as a pain point when he was working in cafeterias and hourly jobs, and then also um, something that Uber drivers have experienced quite a bit is once they drive at the end of the day, they want to be able to cash out on the hours that they've earned. And people live, you know, around 70% of the US lives paycheck to paycheck. So being able to pay some of your 
bills, some of the, you know, ongoing expenses that you have when you get your, when you can receive your paycheck at the end of the day is a very valuable. It's very, very valuable to these people. And so when I met Nico, I think the guy didn't grow up in the US. He grew up in Europe and, you know, he came to the US for college and he saw his pain point and he lives, breathes, eats, sleeps, earned wage access. For somebody who had, and payroll in Europe is very different and there are different systems, but he just went so deep. And I wouldn't say that he had built financial technology before, but he had this mission. He knew what he wanted to do. He also said, I am not the expert. I need to find the right advisors, the right people around the table who can help me to do this. And that was something that I thought was incredibly unique about him. There are plenty of founders out there, and I hope to spend more time with people like that. But that's really what I look for in the founders that I want to back. You want to see that passion and because it, it, it inspires and you know that at the end of the day, you know, one of the things we used to always ask in the first episodes of this podcast was, you know, what what do you feel like you need the most as a founder? And everyone would say like resilience, resilience, resilience. And it's it's you know it's it's funny. I'm wearing a bracelet that says resilience. Really, I mean yeah. it's 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 directly that right. And and I couldn't agree more with what you're sharing. So this is a bonus question. I still want to re-explore this one, and I really wanted your perspective on this, Aditi. So I'm taking a little few extra minutes to ask you this. But I love your perspective on where you kind of think and see the future of startup funding looking like, where it's going. Can you share more about your perspective, maybe in the context of fintech or maybe that market in that sense? Like, I'd love, you know, your your experience, your opinion, you know, whatever you'd willing to share. I do fundamentally believe there's never been a better time to be a founder than it is today. Fundraising is probably not quite as easy, but I think being a founder, we have, uh, there are so many tools out there to make you a successful founder, to start a company, to get it up and going from, you know, Stripe Atlas to um, QuickBooks to Pilot to you name it. You can get a company up and running in, you know, a matter of seconds. Uh, I think if I think about the funding market, the last few years, at, at least in the pandemic period, quite honestly, were unrealistic. It was kind of like we were all working on borrowed time or borrowed capital um, and the cost of capital was very low, right? I do think the next five to 10 years will lead to some of the most successful founders because the mindset is different. What I mean by the mindset is every dollar is not going to give you, for every dollar you raise today, you're not going to raise like five more dollars in the in the next six months. You actually need to have proven the worth to go raise your next dollar of funding. And so I think people are building with intention. I think people are building with a real sense of scrappiness. And I think people are building with a honestly a mindset that's not hustle culture, but that's like long-term sustainability and moving the needle in whatever industry you may be. What that means for investors, I think LPs have obviously you know, had their ups and downs. And especially in the last year, I think they've had ex- harder experiences with getting liquidity and still waiting for big moments to get cash back. But I think there are plenty of funds out there that have a lot of capital to put to work. What I would say is this is the opportunity as a founder to build relationships with people who really are in alignment with you and are in alignment with what you want to build. So there are plenty of seed investors. In fact, I would say seed investing is probably one of the most competitive categories right now because there's so many people who are willing to take an earlier risk than to write a 10 to $20 million check. But there's investors at every way, at every path along the way. 
What this market does, there is something that I do want to call out is that because I feel we were working on borrowed time and borrowed capital in the last three to four years, the challenge really is that, and I really hate to say this, is there were a lot of tourist founders. There were people who did this because they wanted to say that they were a founder. And also raising a two to $5 million round could be done in the snap of your fingers. You know, anybody and everybody could give you that. So there's also this period of like, if it isn't working, and if you don't think you're going to end up actually building something massive. There's obviously the opportunity if you've had a good relationship with your investors to potentially pivot and do something else. But also a lot of founders are asking themselves, do I really want to be a founder in this market? And if not, like I would give the money back. So I think it comes down to your experience as a founder. It comes down to your experience of knowing what your relationship with your investors are like and really how you view long-term potential. But my biggest call out is that the funding market hasn't dried up. The extra funding may have dried up, but everyone's kind of back to where they were in like the early 2010s, 2011. And I would say people building with intention, people building with a real product in mind, with a real market they're going after, they are going to get funded. They are going to find valuable people to bring around the table and they're going to find the value their product can bring to other people. Um, It's just you have to ask yourself, like, are you resilient to get through this next few years before you kind of hit your stride? So that, that would be my answer to that. Thanks so much. Great perspective. Again, you and I have known each other for a while now and, you know, you worked in in emerging markets at Google, and, and you and I have spoken a lot about your interest in diversity in VC. Um, what can you tell us about this? And, and can you talk about that maybe in the larger context of the, you know, and social values on the topic and, you know, anything you're willing to share this is on, on why it's very on the nose. I feel like this is a topic I care very deeply about and have had a lot of intention around in the last two, three years. Um, I would start with when I joined Venture in 2014, I could probably name all the women in Venture. There just weren't that many. I was an associate. I was a junior person. I think I was lucky and fortunate. I had a colleague who was also a junior woman in our firm, but that was really it. There was very few women and there were maybe a handful of others at other firms, but there weren't that many. Um, I think what has changed and what has been incredible from just like a pure adding more numbers perspective is there have been organizations like Allraise. There are many other women in venture organizations that have really made room and space for women. Um, I also think it's something that has to come top down. So the leaders of these firms, the leaders of organizations have to feel that way. Um, I'm truly inspired by people like Kirsten Green as much as I'm inspired by uh, Mark, who runs our firm. People like Kirsten were trailblazers in what they did. Our, she's a, she is a trailblazer. You know, she was one of the first checks into Chime, and I actually heard about Chime through um, my friend who was a female junior associate there at the time, who had told me that Kirsten had made this investment in Chime and kind of sent it along. Um, but I think she has done something incredible and I think she's very humble and kind of just works the hardest. I, I feel like there's this mindset that like potentially we can outwork everyone, um, but she really did it on her. She's really done it and has grown that firm into like a predominantly female oriented organization that is working their butt off. You know, they're not kind of 
sort of banking on their laurels that like we're women, we should be given opportunity because we're the diversity card. Not at all. I think that's the opposite. And then there are folks like Mark who run our firm and, you know, in our, in all of our term sheets, we have a clause that says for every role that you hire for, you have to interview a certain percentage of diverse candidates as well. And we expect that of all of our portfolio companies that when they're hiring, it is super important that you're not just hiring for sort of candidate who you believe is like your best friend, that other software engineer from that other firm. And like, you all kind of work together um, and you all sort of look the same, but you know, you have to make space and room. And this is where I say coming from the top is so important. I would also add that I have made a very concerted effort myself, having been the one of the few women at the firms that I've worked at. When I was hired at Upfront, I was hired by a lady named Kara Nortman who hired me. And I feel like it's sort of my way of paying it forward. Something I've really cared about is I have two women who work closely with me now. And I was very certain that the people who I would hire and the team that I would build would be a very diverse team. And like I said, leader, you have to walk the walk. You have to be able to show people that you truly believe in this by actually creating that world. And the last thing I'd say on this, which is so interesting, is that at upfront on the investment team or in the partner at the partner level, um, only Mark is the only um, uh, is is one of the only people who identifies as a white man. Um, everybody else is, you know, we have uh, two of my partners are of Korean and Chinese descent, and um, you know myself and Kobe, and it's just a very diverse partnership. And so what it allows for is not all of us speak and look the same, and we kind of all get a different perspective around the table. What I'll add to this is the biggest takeaway for me is that if you are a leader and in a position of authority and in a position of power and in a position of influence, really of influence, and this is something you care about, you have to be able to act on it, and you have to be acting on it. If you aren't acting on it as a leader, you basically are cutting yourself at the knees and sort of saying like nobody else really has an opportunity to rise. Um, so everybody says they care about diversity, but if you really care about diversity, you'd be doing it and showing it and embodying it. Um, so that's really what I would say. That's where I've been involved. One And the final, final point on this is there's obviously a variety of ways in which you show diversity. And I think diversity of thought is the only way that you can excel in venture capital. I think venture capitalists that all look the same are just another group of lemmings. And it's pretty hard to get exceptional outcomes if you're kind of all being a lemming. 100%. Very well said, Aditi. And yeah, I mean, if you're building for everyone, you have to also be able to bring a diversity of people together so that it is accessible to everyone. So we're a little bit out of time. So I'm going to actually close it with our like key question that we love to ask. So just to give you a little bit of background on this, you know, we believe at the studio between Sophie and myself, like we really, really believe that kindness like speaks above all else. You know, not only, you know, the, the when you're saying like you include diversity, it's all tied to, it's not about kindness, like giving people just something that they deserve, but it's about staying firm, but also being kind and doing it with a lot of integrity. Um, so. I guess I'll turn that question back to you, but what's an act of kindness that you were recently given or have recently or have recently like put forward? I'm going to go back to something that's very personal. 
you know, I think that finding balance between two working parents and being able to balance work and life is incredibly challenging. And I think it's not necessarily, I wouldn't say it's just been recent, but I really feel incredibly supported and also very light and free in the support that I have from my husband. That to me is this role that he has played of always believing in me and being my cheerleader at times when I haven't believed in myself. And it's not in the day to day that you see it because it doesn't necessarily come up in like every single day or every single act that you do. But I just have felt it so much more in the last few months than I have felt it ever before. And I think that act of kindness from him has come in ways that is like, I think you just need to go take a walk and go get some frozen yogurt. Like you should go do that. Or I think you just need, you're going to, you have a lot of travel coming up. Like I think I will not we will find the balance and I will kind of take over on these things. And it sounds simple, but two working parents is very complicated. And I do think finding time with your family, finding time for work, finding time to do the extra, extra work that our job has never ending amounts of requires like a lot of patience and true sense of um, balance. And that is something that I think has been like this incredible act of kindness from my husband. And I feel like for somebody who has been with me for 15 years, you would think you have already know, you already know everything about each other, but I almost feel like we're in, there has been this, um, that, that has been something that has been so selfless and so generous to me. And so I'm very appreciative of that. Oh, thanks. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, you gave me goosebumps, but, uh, Aditi, thank you so much. I mean, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and, you know, to, I have a thousand more questions and I think we need to take a longer walk so I can ask them. <laughs> but uh, it's thank you for your time and thank you for sharing a little bit of your perspective and your experience. It's truly inspiring. Thank you. I am very, very fortunate to have a friend in you and also get to work with you and see the incredible work you're doing with the studio. Um, so obviously wishing you the best with all of this, but also thank you for having me. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you again so much for listening to this episode with Aditi. I know I was super inspired, and I'm sure you are too. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about Le Studio, you know where to find us. On our social media, on LinkedIn and Instagram at lestudio.io, and on our website at lestudio.io. Stay tuned for the next episode of Under the Hood. Thanks so much. <laughs>